to welcome you back this Mother's Day evening. I know that always means a typically thin crowd because I know Mother's Day is pretty exhausting. I can speak from personal experience on that one, to which my wife would say, welcome to every day of my life. So... On Sunday nights, we are on a series called Journey with John, where we are very intentionally and thoughtfully uh, making our way through John's account of the life of Jesus Christ and trying to look at what he endeavored to teach us. We have said many times that the goal uh, is to, to get us as readers and as students to simply believe. I don't think that's a problem with the Sunday night crowd. I assume most of you believe in Jesus uh, the, the, the deeper part of the, the belief is the trust, is, is the, the, the laying my life into your hands. And we see that most intimately tonight. If you're turning along in your Bibles, you'll go along to John chapter 6, verse 60 is where we'll be this evening. Just over 72 years ago this year, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged for his part in a conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler. As part of uh, his mission, uh, Dietrich is known by many for his most famous quote. And in fact, I'm sure most of you uh, have heard part of this quote, but I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to read it for you. He wrote, uh, in full context, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering, which every man must experience in the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with the Christ. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins... The cross is not that terrible instrument. Uh, It is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, he writes. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. In other words, the cross isn't the finish line, it's the starting line. When Christ calls a man, this is probably the quote that you know, he bids him, Come and die. It may be the death of like the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him to a martyr's death. Or it may be death in some other way. But it is clear. When Christ calls a man, be it them or be it us, he bids them come and die. In tonight's text, we're going to watch two groups of people die. The first group is going to die a death that they don't realize has happened. It's that of an eternal nature. We're going to see people walk away from Jesus Christ. The second group is the disciples. And they choose death of a different kind. Death to themselves. To follow Jesus. That they might gain life in Christ. I hope this is, is helpful for you tonight. If you are in John chapter 6, uh, we're going to start in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. 
Who can accept it? Now, we remember, hopefully, in context, uh, that Jesus has just taught, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me, which, of course, naturally would greatly disturb many of the Jews. Um, They misunderstood his teaching, which is commonplace with preachers and their audience. Uh, He was speaking, of course, of, of spiritual eating and drinking and a spiritual life. They heard him say, uh, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up cannibalism. And, of course, if we understand that, maybe it helps us understand verse 60. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yes, there yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And every time I read that verse, whether in personal devotion or in study, uh, it pangs my heart. I really do believe it's the saddest verse in the Bible. For in that moment, they chose death. They didn't know it, but they did. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know. That you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. It's a hard text. There's a lot in there, so we're not going to get very far tonight. But um, I think there are some valuable lessons, and I hope we can learn them together. First, and probably the most uh, well-recognized by a Sunday night crowd, is following Jesus is challenging. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus offended many because he didn't do what he thought they should, uh, what they thought he should do for them. Like we said last week, he didn't address the problems that they wanted him to address. They wanted him to be king. Not the kind of king he came to be. Jesus taught some hard things. Not just for them, by the way. But for us, too. I know Steve's teaching a class on Wednesday nights, or or was, or I'm sure if he is or was, but... Uh, He's talking about hard teachings and and twisted scriptures, difficult texts. 
Those are um, certainly worth our time and study. But it's not the hard things that Jesus said that I think are so hard to understand. I think it's the easy things. I think it's the things that are easy to understand, that we know very simply what they mean. I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. We can spend a lot of time and study and classes and sermons on a text like that, and we don't perhaps really need to go much deeper than what we read. To follow Jesus, you have to die to yourself. Which means if you have an enemy, you're called to do as he did. To love them and pray for them. So it's the teachings of Jesus which are challenging. Challenging because they call us to die to ourselves. We have to choose to believe Jesus enough that we trust him and that we obey him. Not in the things where we already have similarity. Uh, certainly that's okay, but when... I asked Brian Middleton one time in a, in a difficult situation, and shepherds are called to difficult situations quite often. I said, what do you pray for? What do you say? And so he told me what he said. And essentially what he said is, God, this is our will. We're we're telling you what we desire. But Father, our will is above your will. And so if, if our will and your will are not in congruence, we bend our will to yours. I didn't say as eloquently as Brian does, but we bend our will to yours. That's the essence of discipleship in Jesus. It's not just, I mean, we'll get to Judas. Judas knew about Jesus. He knew Jesus' teachings pretty well. He knew the ways of the rabbi. But he refused to bend his will fully and totally. Because to do that meant he had to do what the other disciples would later do. It would be to die to themselves. Jesus still teaches hard things. They're not hard because we don't understand them. They're hard because we do. I picked some from John that we can look at. John chapter 8, verses 31-32. Turn ahead a couple of chapters. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, you know, it, it's not just a, it's not just a, I love, and, and I do think it's necessary that we profess the name of Jesus Christ. We ask a person, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they say yes or no. Or, or some I've heard that I, I like, I think is a, a much more beautiful way to say it. They'll say, tell me what you believe about Jesus. And they'll say something to that effect. But that profession doesn't stop on the front row. That profession continues. Jesus expects it to continue, to hold to the teaching. Now this sounds sounds great. 
But if you've been a Christian long enough, you know this will lead you to hard, difficult places. Because you'll be walking along with a friend or a family member. And, and you just picture it in your mind. You're walking along and you are following Jesus. And all of a sudden Jesus takes a different path than a, a friend, a, a loved one, a co-worker, someone that you very much love their relationship. And, and you have a split. And you have to choose it's hard when it's in your family. When you have to say, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I, this is not something I can participate in. It's not something I can give my blessing to. It, these, are, these are hard, difficult things. So following Jesus is very challenging. And it leads to division because it's the holding to the teaching. It's not just the one time saying, yep, I I like Jesus. It's the holding to. It's the remaining in, as he would say in John 15. It's the abiding that matters. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's almost this, as if, and I can't really, really, in a definitive way, explain this. But it's almost as if you hold the truth long before you fully understand and grasp the reality of the truth. If you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciples, and then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And does that understanding of the truth come in knowing Jesus? Perhaps. Does that knowing of the truth come in uh, when we step into eternity? Perhaps. I don't know. But, but there's this idea that Jesus says, trust me. Obey me, listen to me, and hold on. Hold on to the teaching. Then understanding will come. And see, so if we flip it around and we say, I want to understand all this. I want to figure this all out before I decide to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not sure anyone would be a disciple of Jesus. Hold to the teaching. John chapter 13, verse 15. In context, he's washing the disciples' feet. When he had finished washing their feet, this verse 12, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. It, it is easy to get caught in the trap of, of seeking out a church because of all the things that they will do for you. Because all the ways they'll comfort you and serve you Jesus called us to serve one another. And that's not as exciting. That is harder. There are parts of the Northside Lights ministry that we've been doing this year that there, there is just some literal grunt work 
This is just getting your hands dirty. It's getting sweaty. It's, it's interacting with uncomfortable situations. But we do that because Jesus called us to that. Not because we like it, not because it would be our first choice. Uh, we could easily pull lots more people in here if we, if we did different things and offered things that would be more enticing. But Jesus called us to a different way. So we abide, we hold to the, the teaching. Uh, skip down to verse uh, 34 of the same chapter. A new command I give you, this is verse 34, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, when you look at the context of this, Jesus is looking at Peter And predicting his coming denial. Jesus calls us to love one another, not because they deserve it. Not because uh, they're right and you need to humble yourself, but because he loved you. So we're called to love one another. And this, according to Jesus, was the defining mark. In their world, I believe in ours as well. Our love for one another. Uh, programs, ministries, camps, retreats, uh, conferences, uh, uh, all sorts of good things and ministries that are, are done. But Jesus said there's one thing. By this, you will know. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples and how you love one another. And I think if we took that to heart, um, we would find the world radically attracted to who we are. So following Jesus is challenging. Um, the second is this. The following, following Christ is costly. Verse 67. And I can only imagine he looks Peter in the eye, or maybe one of the disciples, and he says, You don't want to leave too, do you? And we know in John's Gospel we're about a third of the way through. Jesus knows where he's heading. But he asks them right here, right now, as, as the crowds are leaving. You know, realize they had some options here, right? They could have gone back to their original trade. They could have gone to be, back to be fishermen, tax collectors. They, they had those skills. It could have been within their own possibility that they followed another rabbi. And Jesus could have lost them all right there. You don't want to leave too, do you? You ever thought about that question in your own journey? I like when you start out and you're sort of dripping wet and you're coming off the edge of the baptistry. And if Jesus could ask you right then, you don't want to leave, do you? 
And you'd say, no, Jesus, no, this is, this is the most amazing feeling in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy and joyful and, and I'm forgiven and I, I've got the spirit living with me. This is the greatest moment. I can't imagine it getting any better than this. Why would I ever want to leave you? And, and then you, and then you go to school. I'm speaking to our sizable youth group tonight. And then you go to school. And um, not everybody else is following Jesus. And it costs you some friendships. And it costs you a little bit on the social pecking order. And Jesus pulls you aside at the lunch table because you're kind of sitting by yourself. And he pulls up a lunch tray. He starts to take a bite and he says, you don't want to leave, do you? I don't know, Jesus. This is tougher than I imagined. I didn't realize it would be so hard and and that so many people would not. I didn't realize how many temptations there would be and how much the enemy would work on me. And then you get a, a job and you see people your age moving up a lot faster because they're willing to, to do things that Jesus wouldn't want you to do. And it's hard. Because you know you could do better, you can know you could go farther, and, and, and following Jesus has cost you a few things. You've placed some boundaries around your, your life, your work, your family, that not everyone else does. And you come home after a long day, and as you close the car door, there's Jesus. It's getting kind of creepy now. And you're tired. It's been a long week. And Jesus says, you don't want to leave, do you? And you pause. (laughs) Jesus, it would be so much easier if I could just check off the list. It would be so much easier if you just had me do a certain number of things. But this daily denial of self is so hard. And then you go to the family reunion. And you're there with the rest of your family. And they're talking about things that you don't know anything about. They're telling jokes that can't be a part of there, asking you to be a part of things that, you know, Jesus wouldn't want as one of his followers. And this is really hard because these are the people that are your blood. Jesus comes to you and says, you don't want to leave, do you? I hope that Jesus has some of those interactions with you on a regular basis. And the truth is that if you if you say, no, Jesus, I'm still in, the more that you say that, I think, the harder it gets. The more that you decide to follow him, 
the less of you there will be. Jesus comes into the heart and into the life and he just begins to work on every crevice and every dark corner and every area and he begins to change things and he begins to call you to die one step at a time. But I still believe that life following Christ, even though it's harder than if we didn't. You know, the enemy wouldn't work on us. There wouldn't be those temptations. We'd be more popular. We'd have more friends. We'd probably do better in this old world. But I still believe, despite all of those things being true, that following Jesus is still better. We have a choice. You and I. Even a Sunday night crowd. we still got to make that choice every single day. Peter clearly sees the answer to this question. His binary nature leads him to understand it's either with Jesus or not. And if it's worth it, if it's worth the cost, then I'm with Jesus all the way. Verse 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Turn to John chapter 21, toward the end of the book. Because I do believe Peter's answer is right. But Jesus explains in John chapter 21, starting in verse 18. Just how much that answer would cost him. This is, of course, after Jesus has come back. The resurrected form. And he he keeps asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now this is important, verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to indicate this, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The answer cost Peter. As far as we know, the answer cost all of the disciples. It will cost us as well. Obedience to Jesus will lead us to hard places. Difficult people. Uncomfortable spots. Points where we have to choose between Jesus' desire, Jesus' will, and our own. 
I want to look at, step outside of John and look at what Paul said to his young protege. Second Timothy chapter three. He's talking about the last days. We're going to start in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures of God which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says, and very likely nearing the end of his life, he says, you know, you know what I've endured. You understand. You've seen it. You've heard about it. You understand it. And perhaps you would ask, why bother? Jesus said to Paul himself, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And boy, did he suffer. Why did Paul do that? Why did he engage in that battle over and over and over again? Because he believed, our final point tonight, that following Jesus is worth it. That following Jesus is everything. The relationship with him is everything. The following him is everything. And we understand, of course, being a Sunday night crowd, it's not just about a couple of hundred hours on Sunday. I mean, this is a lifestyle. This is a call to come and die. It's a hard thing. I don't speak to it trivially or... Without any thought, many of you have, have suffered those things. But let me encourage you tonight that if what, Jesus, or what Paul said to Timothy is true, he said things are going to get bad. Things may even get worse than they are now. But I want you to know you've got a tool in God's Word that is useful for every need you'll ever have. Stick to the Word and stick to the author of that Word. John would say stick to the Word. Not the paper, but the Messiah. Stick to him because he's worth it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's one of my favorite quotes from Jim Elliott. And it's in my office. I, I look at it on the hard days in ministry. We should remember that as disciples. That anything we might lose in this world pales in comparison to what we'll gain. I love, and I couldn't find the source of this, but someone said it this way, and I think it's so beautiful. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you everything.
Uh, so true. Jesus, as the people were leaving, as you picture in your mind, their backs turned toward the Messiah, and he's just surrounded there by the twelve. He reminds them of three benefits that outweigh the risks. First is the glory of heaven. He said, if this offend you, if I could show you for a tenth of a millisecond where I just came from, you'd understand how important and how worth it it is to follow me. But I can't. I can't, I can't lead you there on your own. You have to believe in me and you have to believe where I'm from. He says he promises the Spirit. We're going to have the indwelling of the Spirit to counsel us, to guide us. And the promise of holy life, the abundant life in this world and the resurrection life in the next. There is nothing that this world could offer you. There is nothing that this world could not take from you that will compare with what you will gain in following Jesus. And I believe that's here and I believe that's there. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul wrote again, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Man, just one millisecond in heaven will make all the suffering here pale in comparison. You later write to Paul, uh, Paul would later write to Timothy, excuse me, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous one, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of those who have longed and loved his appearing. My question is tonight for you. Are you a fan of Jesus? Are you just following him? When you agree, or are you a follower of Jesus, willing to give up your own life, willing to lay down yourself? Oh, it may be martyrdom. Who knows how bad our culture may get. But I think there's going to be a lot of other small daily deaths to self that we'll have to choose as we follow Jesus. I want to encourage you tonight to, to maintain your fellowship with Jesus by understanding his lordship. I'll close by telling you this story. Chicago youth minister planned a, a spring break mission trip for his teens, and, and they decided they were going to go to Florida, of all places, to do mission work. We're going to go minister to people on the beach. Now, the youth minister understood uh, the challenges, the temptations, the difficulties that there might be in taking a bunch of teenagers down to Florida minister to people on the beach. Perhaps they would get distracted. Perhaps they would be tempted. Perhaps they would forget their purpose. So he fashioned a cross from two pieces of lumber. And just before they climbed on the bus, he showed it to the group. He said, I want you to remember the whole purpose of our going is to glorify the name of Christ and to lift up the cross wherever we go. The message of the cross, the emphasis of the cross, the Christ of the cross. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this cross that I've constructed everywhere we go. The teenagers kind of looked uneasily at each other, but they respected their youth minister. And so they went along with the crazy idea. And they promptly dragged the cross onto the bus. It banged back and forth in the aisle all the way to Florida. 
It went with them in the restaurants. It stayed overnight at the hotel where they stayed. It stood in the sand while they ministered at the beach. And at first, lugging around this giant cross, as you might imagine, embarrassed the teenagers. But later, it became a point of identity. That cross was a a constant, silent reminder of who they were and why they had come. They eventually regarded carrying it as a sign of honor and privilege. They had identified with it. This is what Jesus calls us to, to come and die, to identify with the cross, not just as a place where Jesus atoned for our sins, but as the place where he calls all men and women who would come to follow him, to come and die. You don't want to leave, do do you? You don't want to leave. If you've been thinking about leaving, or if you haven't begun to follow, I want to call you tonight. And I want to help you take the first steps with Jesus, or encourage you to keep following. If you have a need, I'd love to pray with you and for you, and so would the rest of your friends here this evening. Whatever need you might have, please come, as together we stand and sing.